Welcome back to the Theology of the Buddy podcast, episode 38, a podcast for Catholics who love tradition and want more of it. My name is Chris, and I'm joined by my wonderful co-hosts, Mike and Brooke. Hello. How's it going? Good. Good. How are you guys doing? Pretty good. Great. Excited to talk about uh, today's topic. Yeah. Welcome back to part two of our liturgical breakdown. So, friends. (laughs) So, what are we talking about today? Actually starting the Mass, apparently. Once we're done the vesting prayers, maybe that'll take like a whole hour. Yeah. Just kidding. Probably not. Yeah. So probably vesting prayers and prayers at the foot of the altar. Sounds awesome. Sounds awesome. So if this is your first time checking us out, um, we have begun a series on uh, liturgical comparisons. So we are comparing the liturgies of uh, the Tridentine Mass, the Mass of Pope Paul VI, also known as the Novus Ordo. We're taking a look at the um, Divine Liturgy of St. John Chrysostom, as well as uh, looking at the ordinariate, Anglican ordinariate use, uh, and also taking some glances over at our... uh, at our friends, not really the Lutherans, uh, and and their liturgy so. frenemies. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yep. just enemies. Yep, yep. So, friends, welcome. So, we're gonna get into this, but before we do, did you guys uh, have a good couple of days? It's been since what we recorded on Tuesday. Was it Tuesday? Uh, yeah, something like that. Yeah. 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 Anything new? Anything sweet happened in the last few days? Our house is falling apart. That's pretty much it. <laughs> tell tell the story. So it's, you know, four in the morning and all of a sudden, bang, like the biggest sound of life. I seriously thought like somebody had like crashed into our house or kicked down the door or something like that. I look over at Mike and I'm like, what was that, honey? Go check. Well, I woke up and I'm like, what's that? And I'm thinking, you know, the same things as Brooke. Is someone breaking into our house? Do I have to get the long-handled wrench beside the bed and try and fight someone off? So I turn on my lamp and see the uh, bar across our closet has fallen down with all the clothes on the floor. (laughs) <laughs> and the bracket holding it out, up had ripped out of the wall. Wow. <laughs> so huge crash. But for some reason, I saw that and I was like, oh, that's cool. And instantly fell back asleep. Meanwhile, Brooke was there <laughs> panicking for the rest of the night. <laughs> like, my house you know, is falling apart. Yeah. Like my heart rate was like through the roof because it was just like surprising i don't like those kinds of negative surprises so yeah but i don't think anybody does but you you like the thing you told us told me earlier makes it even more funny which is the majority of the clothes in that closet weren't yours but mike's nope they weren't they were mike's (laughs) and we and i told him before we put the stuff back in the closet 
we need to go through your clothes and get rid of stuff. He literally filled like a whole big garbage bag, not like, you know, a normal standard black one. No, like the ultra mega industrial sized (laughs) garbage bin, garbage bags. Like a contractor bag. Yeah. Seriously. Seriously. (laughs) I have way too many t-shirts. Yeah. It's good to let go of, of things. Mm-hmm. Some you know, some things some things are important to let go of, but other you things, know it's not important. Yeah, <laughs> some things would be good to let go of after only having them for about uh, sixty years yeah. or so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, amazing, yeah. amazing. Uh, I had a joke. Can I say it? No jokes. Yeah, 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 you yeah. know this is a serious podcast. <laughs> okay. You know the whole phrase like um don't dress for the job that you have, you dress for the job that you want. Yeah. It also has to do with like the mindset the mindset you put yourself in as you try to get to that place. Which I think is a perfect segue into our vesting prayers. <laughs> Uh, you know what i mean yeah kind of kind of was that a joke though it wasn't really i'm still waiting I'm, for, I'm a still punch waiting for a punchline i'm here to talk to you about investments uh, <laughs> at a room shop right there oh my gosh yeah yeah um so i actually learned a new word today and uh, it's so funny because I, I was listening to a TED talk and uh, the lady said, you'll be sure to be using this word in the future. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to put it right into the podcast. So have you ever heard of the word ultra crepidarianism before? No. Uh, so I feel like it's a little bit like me. Uh Anyway, the definition of ultra-crepidarianism is the habit of giving opinions and knowledge on matters outside of one's knowledge. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, to our uh, brothers and sisters in the the Eastern Rite, you're listening to the ultra-crepidarianism podcast today. (laughs) Yeah, and if you are an Eastern Rite Catholic... Uh, we'd love to hear from you. And really the comparison is not like to judge in any way the uh, Eastern liturgy. It's more of a, just to shed light on the shared traditions yes. yeah. and history that goes back to the early church. Exactly. I absolutely love to shed some light on the uh, Latin liturgies, which we're actually mm-hmm. kind of focusing on. I, I love the divine liturgy of St. Catherine's It's absolutely beautiful. It really is. Like if we can't make it to the Latin Mass where yeah. we go, we'll go to the the Ukrainian Catholic Church that mm-hmm. uses the divine liturgy of St. John Chrysostom there. They're For super sure. nice. They love to give you pierogies. Yeah, it's true. Well, they sold us pierogies. They did, but they were worth buying. Yep. <laughs> cool. So. Let's get into it, shall we? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, so let's start with what's kind of the first step for preparing for Mass, at least in the traditional Latin Mass. Mm-hmm. So, and optionally in Novus Ordo, mm-hmm. or 
Is it actually in the germ or? I didn't see it in the germ. I saw it in a document that Brooks sent, I think, which is a Vatican document which encourages the use of vesting prayers. Um, but it doesn't seem to really say it's mandatory, um, which is a shame. Yes, I remember that document. And it definitely says it's optional, mm-hmm. encouraged, but it's not not necessary. Yeah. Yeah. They basically say, like, uh, you can use these prayers or whatever. Um, basically, just pray to God as you're fasting. Um, right. Yeah. They, uh, it, they say in that document, like, they refer to the fact that it is no longer mandatory. Mm-hmm. So that to me points to, it was probably just removed from the germ, but right. Um, I haven't confirmed. Yeah. Let, let's take yeah. a second and then look. Sure. While Chris is looking, anyone want to talk about what fasting prayers are? You look like you have something to say on the matter, Mike. I don't, but um, you know who does, Monsignor Mormon. I want to hear from that guy. He's smart. Actually, he doesn't really say much about why there are vesting prayers. It's kind of treated as, like, of course there are prayers that you'd say while you're vesting. And he just says, as he's describing each vestment, he says the prayer that goes with it, the symbol, symbolism symbolism behind it yeah so so coming back to the um the general instruction of the roman missile um which if you're not familiar with it the general instruction of the roman missile also known as the germ um is kind of the the document that uh that priests are required to follow um when you know saying mass and things like that and yeah in terms of vesting the only mention of vesting is uh, in section 45. And it says that it says, even before the celebration itself, it is commendable that silence to be observed in the church, in the sacristy, in the vesting room, and in adjacent areas, so that all may dispose themselves to carry out the sacred action in a devout and fitting manner. Hmm. So, so even in the general instruction, it is not required for the priest uh, to pray these vesting prayers as it was required prior to the Second Vatican Council. Yeah. Well, is reply is required in the traditional Latin Mass. Yeah, exactly. To this day, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. So do we want to go through quickly the vesting prayers themselves? Sure. Yeah. So okay. I'm just going like I have open in front of me. Um, the Latin Mass explained by Monsignor George Mormon. So correct me if I'm wrong. The first thing he talks about is the hand-washing prayer. Is that the first thing you have? Mm, Well, according to this, no. According to this document from Sancta Missa, which is from our friends over at St. John Cantius, the first thing is the cassock, then the fascia, then the washing of the hands. Oh, that starts earlier than this. His description begins with 
The priest clad in the cassock washes his hands. So why don't we start with the cassock then? Yeah. Okay. So so when the priest puts on the cassock, the prayer, uh, I won't read it in Latin because I'm I'm ridiculously bad at reading Latin, but the English translation is, O Lord, the portion of my inheritance and my chalice, you are he who will restore my inheritance. So um, again, with, with, especially with the Latin mass, you will find that, that the scriptures are imbued in everything. It's everywhere. Mm -hmm. In particular, the Psalms is everywhere um and Mm -hmm. so you know that that prayer it doesn't say exactly where it comes from it definitely sounds very much like a psalm i'm not sure which one then the fascia um so if you don't before we go back the cassock right the cassock what that is is that's the big like black like it's all one piece i don't know Mm -hmm. how would you describe it it's a robe right yeah yeah. Like if you've ever seen the Matrix, like what Neo wears, that's that's what it is. If you've ever looks like. seen a Catholic priest, just kidding. No. <laughs> You're more likely to have seen a uh seen the, the Matrix. Matrix. Yeah. yeah. Um than a properly dressed Catholic priest. Yeah. Now I'm just trying to see what the Catholic fascia is. Um cool tidbit about cassocks. They have thirty three buttons, right? That's true. For that's the true. 33 years of our Lord's earthly life. That's right. That's right. Now, um, the cassock prayer that you just read, is that something attached to the mass or was, would that traditionally just be what the priest prays when he gets dressed in the morning? That would be like, <laughs> no, that's a, he'd be wearing the cassock all day, right? Well, I guess, I mean, if, yeah, I mean, I don't know if there was like a different cassock that you'd put on for mass. Maybe, maybe, maybe not. Like, would you want to necessarily wear the cassock that you've been wearing out in the street, right? Coming in for mass. I, you know, I don't necessarily think that you would want to do that because, you know, it's got the dirt on it and stuff. And you wouldn't necessarily want to get that on, like, on the actual chasubles and things like that. So I, partially think it's a different cassock. the white alb i guess yeah yeah exactly maybe i don't know i don't know probably depends historically how many cassocks you have and how often you can wash them as a right. priest right yeah nowadays it might be a bit easier mm-hmm. so moving forward so there's the fascia so that's the sash that goes around the cassock uh and again that that prayer uh, very much it doesn't it, it doesn't look like this is an actual prayer from the psalms but um, it's quite beautiful it says gird me O lord with a cincture of purity and quench in my heart the fire of concupiscence that the virtue of continence and chastity may abide in me i think that's beautiful and that's almost that's almost the same prayer as you see later on right is that the same as the cincture it might be we'll take a look that's that's the oh yes it is that goes the yes, alb. Is. yep yep it is the same so it's kind of the same kind of garment same mm-hmm. prayer that's right. interesting then there's the washing of the hands right so 
The priest prays as he washes his hands, Give strength to my hands, Lord, to wipe away all stain, so that I may be able to serve thee in purity of mind and body. Mm-hmm. Um, again, you know, one of the things that has always struck me about the Latin Mass in particular has been the emphasis on purity of heart, purity of intention, these things. Because having that proper disposition of mind and heart going into the holy sacrifice of the Mass, though it doesn't, for the priests, it doesn't decrease the efficacy of that Mass, right? It, the, the Mass is going to be the Mass, whether the priest is in, you know, in sin or not, but it makes it more efficacious for the priest in particular, as well as I think in a way for the people, just by seeing the example of holiness of the priest who's offering. Right. You might say it doesn't change the validity, but it does make it more efficacious. Okay. Yeah. That's a better way of putting it. Yeah. If I can add to that. So in the, in the document that, uh, that I'm looking at here, that the study of the divine liturgy of St. John Chrysostom. Okay. Basically, the priest will come and he will pray before the holy doors. Um, And the priest, it says here, the priest who intends to celebrate the divine mystery must be reconciled, first of all, with everyone and have no animosity towards anyone. To the best of his ability, he must keep his heart free from evil thoughts. He must abstain from the evening before until his priestly service. At the appointed time, he enters the temple and together with the deacon, facing east, the gavel from the holy doors three times and then again. So even there, there's the same kind of um, approach. Right, right. That purity of of heart is is so necessary. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll get into that um, a lot more with the prayers at the foot of the altar too, right? For sure. Because that's part of the yeah the main point of these prayers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, not to spoil it before we get to that part, <laughs> but it's all about you know preparing yourself for. Um, to celebrate mass as the priest and preparing yourself to receive the grace of the mass that's right as a lay person mm-hmm. or a server that's right um moving ahead we'll just quickly go through so the amis which is a white garment that goes uh up and around the neck um practically speaking it just kind of keeps the the neck sweat away from the chasuble um and the other vestments yeah. but um, one of the things that they do is they, but when they put it on, they touch it to the top of their head, um, and then they bring it down to their shoulders, and then they tie it up. Um, and the prayer that they say there is, Lord, set the helmet of salvation on my head to fend off all the assaults of the devil. I think that's cool. Um, even though it doesn't look like a helmet, <laughs> it's kind of, kind of neat. Um, priests don't really, I mean, they wear a... Beretta. Yeah, thank you. They wear the Beretta. Mm-hmm. Um, but they don't, I don't think they pray any prayers when they put on the Beretta. So, so yeah, that's kind of why. Then there's the alb, the white garment that goes over top of everything. And the priest says, Make me white, O Lord, and cleanse my heart, that being made white in the blood of the Lamb, I may deserve an eternal reward. The cincture, again, the, uh, the rope that goes around the alb. Uh, is that same prayer as before, the gird me, O Lord, with a sanctuary of purity. So the next one that we're looking at is the maniple. So the uh, the maniple is like a, um, it looks kind of like a, 
kind of like a towel thing around the left arm of the priest uh, that he wears. Um, yeah, the the Monsignor Mormon book explains how the tradition of wearing the maniple kind of grew out of these ceremonial handkerchiefs that were worn by uh, people in Roman society. They uh, usually weren't used, but they were just kind of draped over the left arm as a uh, an ornament. And he also talks about how there's a symbolic meaning of it where it reminds us of our Lord's chains with which he was bound during his passion. Wow. The word maniple means something like sheaf or bundle. It also reminds the priest that he must not appear empty-handed in the presence of God, but that he must bear the fruits of virtue and good works. And the prayer that goes with the maniple is, May I deserve, O Lord, to bear the maniple of weeping and sorrow, that with exultation I may receive the reward of my labor. So there you go. Wow. Might be slightly different in English than yours, because the official prayer is Latin. Yeah. So the translations kind of vary in English. Yeah. Now, I don't know, Brooke, if you have noticed or not in your study of things on the more Byzantine side, things of like with regards to repentance and sorrow um, and sorrow for our sins is uh, very much a, a focus. Uh, within the Divine Liturgy of St. John Chrysostom. I know, especially even just in the writings of uh, the Eastern Fathers, they make reference to a lot of times uh, the importance of tears, of of that repentant heart um, that we need. They don't necessarily talk a lot about it with regards to the liturgy, but I mean, like, I don't know if you remember the episode uh, with with Bill Dykstra. Um, he was talking about uh, that, uh, is it a blessed in Winnipeg that came from Russia to Winnipeg and he was a priest and he would just like get up during the homily at mass and just cry. I don't know. I think it's, I think it's something, the importance of being sorrowful for our sins and igniting within our hearts that repentance is so it's so important, especially going into the liturgy for even us mm -hmm. as lay people having that compunction is, is really important. I don't know. What are your thoughts? Yeah. I was just looking at the vesting prayers right now. Um, but even before they get there, I want to point out the one prayer that they say when they approach the icon, icon of Jesus, we fall down and worship before your most pure image. Oh, good one begging forgiveness. For our offenses, O Christ God, for you, of our of your own will, we're pleased to ascend upon the cross in the flesh to deliver those whom you have created from the slavery of the enemy. Therefore, we gratefully cry out to you by your coming to save the world, O our Savior. You have filled all things with joy. And again, when they even approach an icon of Mary, they they uh, they ask her to look upon the people that are there and. Um, help make them worthy of, of compassion and forgiveness before God. Yeah. That, yeah. that's something that I think that will, will actually kind of get on a little later too, is that focus of the importance of the saints uh, yeah. in, in the liturgies of the, the Tridentine mass and, and the divine liturgy. 
because and I, again the focus on begging God's forgiveness yeah. before entering into the mass we're getting there <laughs> the prayers of the foot of the altar it's yeah. kind of like a parallel to that right yeah exactly. again again the setup is a little different in terms of where those things are talking about so right um it's not yeah. a, it's not, <laughs> you, you can't look at the two liturgies and line them up perfect right um, did you want to step back to the maniple for just a second? Because yeah, sure. I don't think we actually mentioned why it's called the maniple of weeping and sorrow, and why it's connected with that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. I get it. Let's get into that. That whole tradition of how, like, if the priest was overwhelmed with emotion during the the mass, he would wipe his tears on the maniple. Wow. <laughs> so cool i think that's that's the tradition that's why they call it that right like Mm -hmm. if you're confessing your sins as the priest and you shed tears you have to wipe away those tears and get to work that's right before the before the priests actually best they actually pray a whole bunch of stuff i'm talking about the divine liturgy um they I'm so sorry because it, it bounces <laughs> back and forth in terms of what happened there. It's fine, Brooke. Um, okay. We're all learning together yeah. about these. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. So like these prayers asking for, asking for forgiveness happen, you know, before the Holy doors, they kind of, when they enter, I want to. This read. is still in the liturgy of preparation. Is that right? Uh, Yeah. The entrance prayers and best use of the prayers before the Holy Birds. I think this would be considered a part of the liturgy of preparation. It doesn't say in this document, let's say. Also, in the document I'm looking at, it has a priest and a deacon. Quite often, like at least at the masses that I've that I went to at the Ukrainian church, it was with the priest. So the priest and the deacon will say, in part of this. Uh, entrance have mercy on us O lord have mercy on us since we have no defense we sinners offer the supplication to his master have mercy on us they say have mercy on us a lot at this liturgy like a lot glory to the father and to the son and to the holy spirit lord have mercy on us for in you we place our hope but not exceeding be not exceedingly angry with us nor mindful of our transgressions but look on us even now with mercy and deliver us from our enemies from our enemies for you are our are our God and we are your people. We all are the work of your hands and we call upon your name now and ever into the ages of ages. Amen. Open to us the doors of mercy, O blessed mother of God, that we who place our hope in you may not perish, but that through you we may be delivered from misfortune, for you are the salvation of all Christians. And then, yeah, and then they approach the icon of Christ and they, they read that nice. uh, prayer that I read before. Yeah. They ask for mercy so many times before they even get their vestments on. Kind of reminiscent of the uh, Jesus prayer, right? Yeah. yeah. Eastern uh, spirituality. Yeah. Uh, Jesus Christ, son, uh, son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Yeah. Yeah. Lord Jesus think, Christ. Yeah. 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 Um, and yeah, they have like a, a string of beads very similar to our rosary where they, where they pray that. I yeah. think it's, I think it's also 50 times. I'm, probably wrong it it actually can vary there's like multiple amounts i can't remember oh, okay yeah but yeah it's cool yeah so getting back to we were uh yeah if we're getting back to the vesting prayers we're on the stole right yep the stole so do you have the prayer for the stole 
I do. Brooke, did you have something else to say first? I was going to say, maybe after you guys discuss the, the vesting for um, the, the, the Latin mass um, and the Novus Ordo or whatever, then we'll look at the vesting prayers for the, for the um, Eastern liturgy. Eastern. Sure. Just make it a little bit easier for that sounds great. Now that we're almost myself. done, good idea. Yeah. <laughs> Just teasing. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying my best to follow two different, three different liturgies. Well, yeah. three different, yeah, yeah, three different liturgies. Yeah, I'm uh, kind of ignoring the ordinary use for this part because I have no idea what they do for vesting prayers. Yeah. But sorry, ordinary people. I got to tell you, I was. Um, Let's go on to the stool. I was just going to say, oh, sorry, I was looking ahead. up, uh, like, even just the Book of Common Prayer, which is what Anglicans use now. And it's so confusing in comparison to what we have, you know? Um, like, yeah, I just found it incredibly difficult to even figure out, like, what does your Sunday morning look like, you know? Um, <laughs> It just it's kind of weird. Um, so I feel like I feel like the Anglican ordinariate, like they have streamlined probably a lot of things um, from that book of common prayer, which is cool. Yeah, I have no idea on that point. I just know they have some of the structure of the Novus Ordo. They have some prayers from that are really reminiscent of the Latin Mass, and they have some really cool old English type prayers, which are right. great. Um, the stole. Yeah. So the stole is kind of like the thin strip of cloth that goes over the shoulders of the priest. It is, uh, there's the prayer here. Sorry. Okay. When putting on the stole, the priest says, restore to me, O Lord, the stole of immortality, which I lost through the transgression of my first parents. And though I approach unworthily to celebrate thy sacred mystery, May I merit, nevertheless, eternal joy. Again, the uh, emphasis on trying to have a clean, repentant heart, admitting your sins. It also notes here the uh, the prayer of the bishop when he imposes the stole at ordination, which I thought was kind of noteworthy. Yeah, what's that? That is, um, take upon you the yoke of the Lord. For his yoke is sweet and his burden light. So stole more than any other kind of represents that burden of the priesthood, I think. Yeah. In that sense, right? Yeah. I was actually just thinking about the fact that it that it is like the yoke um, that, um, that our Lord mentions. The interesting thing, I remember, like, I was listening to a talk from one of our Carmelite um, deacons and he was talking about the fact that like when they would make a yoke in you know in the time of our Lord every yoke was made different to be able to work with each individual person so at, so essentially you would have a custom-made yoke so when our Lord says you know my yoke is easy and my burden is light um, like he's custom made a yoke for you. So anyway, I just find that very interesting. Um, But also too, that yoke is also like the cross, right? That our Lord would carry. 
And one of the things that you will see priests do very often with that stole, um, and they do that, I, I also believe, during the vesting prayers, is they kiss it first before they drape it over the shoulders. And they'll, and they'll kiss it as they take it off, too. You know, it's kind of, again, that reminder for the priest, as well as, you know, a reminder to us when we see that, of embracing that yoke, embracing that mm-hmm. cross and loving it. Yeah. Is there quite often like a uh, a cross actually like embroidered or or sewn on to the to uh, like the the back neck part like the nape, of the... where it would be on the nape of the neck? I've seen yeah, that quite yeah. often. I, I mean, in the new the new ones, I don't see it as much, um, okay. but that doesn't surprise me because they're you know all wonky and weird, but. Yeah, in the old ones, you do see it quite often, but not all the time, I don't think. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, it could it could just be like a detail too, like yep. like perhaps using like a same colored thread, so it's you know, maybe something that only the priest sees as he's resting or something. Yeah, exactly, know. exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Last vestment. Yep. Oh, be bef- before, well, before we move from there, uh, do you mm-hmm. do you have the dalmatic? I have the dalmatic here. Oh, no. So, yeah, so deacons and bishops wear this. Um, and the prayer is kind of similar. Uh, it's, uh, Lord, endow me with the garment of salvation, the vestment of joy, and with the dalmatic of justice ever encompass me. So the dalmatic oh, cool. is, uh, it looks similar to a chasuble, but it drapes kind of like over top of of the uh the deacon or bishop and it's got like sh- kind of like short sleeves almost it looks like hmm. okay so move on to the chasuble all right so the chasuble is the big outer garment that is mostly what you see when you look at the priest at mass it goes down in front and back and is usually um richly embroidered with um well, it can be a variety of things, mm-hmm. um, just symbols of the faith and stuff, and colored by the liturgical season. And different cuts, um, right? It can also be different cuts. There's been different iterations of the chasuble over the centuries. Oh, yeah, for sure. Different shapes. I'm I'm not too familiar with which ones came when, but... yeah. Like I've seen a bunch of different ones. Yeah, it it might be a situation where they they vary depending on uh, where they're made or you know where where the liturgy is being done or, or well, whatnot. Well, Father John had too, an extra long, big one. Yeah. On today. Yeah, like so. There's the Gothic. The Gothic is more traditional, which yeah. oddly enough, like a lot of the chasubles that are worn even in the Novus Ordo are kind of a take on the Gothic style. But, you know, what you see a lot more often is the fiddleback in uh, the Tridentine Mass, which essentially cuts off the uh, the arms. Mm-hmm. Uh, so mm-hmm. it makes it a lot easier for the priest to be able to handle the the sacred um, vessels on the altar um, practically speaking there's not as much fabric yeah but it's but it's actually more of an innovation that came years and like centuries uh, after the gothic style was uh, Hmm. was in use and it finds its roots right in what the priests wore 
in the temple. They would wear similar garments, uh, very richly embroidered and even laden with jewels. Maybe we can get into the biblical symbolism of a chasuble in another podcast. Um, but yeah, That'd be cool. pretty sweet. Do you have yeah. the, the prayer um, for that, Mike? Just before I get to the prayer, one senior Mormon actually talks about some of the development there, how okay. it got smaller. It says, um, <laughs> it talks about how originally the uh, chasuble covered the entire figure of the person when they had their arms down. And it says, one can readily see that the primitive chasuble was very inconvenient for the priest. It was impossible to use arms or hands without lifting the whole of the front part of the vestment. To remedy this, the sides were gradually cut away until the vestment received its present form. This is when he says present, he's writing before Vatican II. So probably talking about fiddleback type vestments. And he says, the part of the chasuble which covers the priest's back has a large cross embroidered on it. Interesting. I don't always see a large cross, but often yeah. I have, yeah. Yeah. The other thing that's cool is he talks about how it's hard to lift up the arms, and that's the origin of the server lifting up yeah. the back of the chasuble, right? Yeah. It was so The priest elevates the host. Because yeah. yeah. originally... It went all the way down his arms, and so it was really heavy to lift up over his head. Yeah, like, I mean, you're talking, like, gold thread, and you're talking, like, precious metals and things like that built into it. It was a a heavy thing to wear. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Nowadays, people see it, and they're like, why is he just lifting up the hem of his chasuble for... It doesn't really do anything with a fiddle back, but... (laughs) uh, it's just kind of a nod to that uh, early days, uh, yeah. ceremony, yeah. and it looks kind of cool, I guess. <laughs> well, I've I've always okay. I guess it. I should like. Sorry, when, go ahead. I was just gonna say, like, maybe we're getting kind of off topic, but when that happens during the consecration, I always kind of envisioned it like like a reminder of like the bride of Christ too, offering mm. to the uh, offering to the Father, the Lord, you know, and like. Oh, and just, it's like carrying the train yeah. of the bride. Or- yeah, exactly. And we've hmm. seen that too in a, uh, well, in a pontifical high mass, right? We got, we saw the Kapaman, yeah. Oh, yeah. The cape. Yeah. <laughs> it just reminds me of that too, right? It's super yeah. sweet. Super sweet. Okay. So I didn't actually get to the prayer. Let me read the prayer from the chasuble. Yeah. When the priest puts on the chasuble, he prays, Oh, Lord. Who has said, My burden is sweet, and my sorry, my yoke is sweet, and my burden light. Grant that I may so carry it as to merit thy grace. Short, simple, also harkens back to when it was even more of a burden than it currently is. My <laughs> garment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the and again that reference to my yoke is sweet and my burden light, and the fact that there is a cross on the back of that chasuble. Right. Mm-hmm. Very cool. So yeah, maybe yeah, we can so hop. There you over, go. Yeah, maybe we can hop over to the divine liturgy now and have Brooke share what her insights have been in her study. Sweet. Okay, I'm just gonna pull up a picture here for us. Uh, cool beans. Okay, so I might have to get Chris to pronounce these Greek things because <laughs> I look so Eastern. I'll I'll just yeah. intuit it. <laughs> Sorry, Bill Dykstra. Okay, so, I'm sorry. 
<laughs> okay, so looking at the vesting of the priest for um, the uh, divine liturgy is uh, super cool. The names of their vestments are different. I'm not going to pronounce them right. I know this for a fact, but uh, I'm going to do my best. So there are uh, slightly different prayers that are said for the deacon, but I'm going to just focus on the vesting of the priest. That's, that's what we're talking about with the Latin. So uh, the priest vests in the right of the altar or in the sacristy in the following way. Uh, he takes the sicarian into his left hand and bows, bows three times towards the east, as mentioned above. Then he makes the sign of the cross over the sicarian, saying, Blessed is our God, always, now, and ever, and to the ages of ages. Amen. And then as he puts it on, he says, My soul shall rejoice in the Lord, for he has clothed, clothed me with the garment of salvation, covered me with the robe of joy. He has set a crown upon me as a bridegroom, as on a bridegroom, and adorned me with the beauty as a bride, which is really beautiful imagery. Not going to lie. And then taking the epitrachelion, you should describe what these are from oh, the picture. Yeah, sorry. Can. So the stickerian, it, it kind of looks just like a robe. With sleeves. With sleeves. Yeah, yeah. it looks like yeah. it looks like an alb, right? V- very, kinda, very much yeah. so. Yeah. yeah. And uh yeah, so then the epitrachelion in four. It kind of looks like a a scarf with a big hole in it yeah. that goes over the head. That's basically a stole, right? That's yeah, a stole. That goes over well, his shoulders. So well, he's got something one. similar over here, too. They, they wear a lot of vestments. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> As he's putting that on, he says, uh, Blessed is God who pours out his grace upon his priest, like a precious ointment on the head, which runs down upon the beard, the beard of Aaron. Shout out to Aaron. Shout out to Aaron. <laughs> Running down to the hem of his garment. Do you have some whiskey there, Chris? Uh, Pour one out for Aaron. (laughs) Pour it out for Aaron. Downed it. Just kidding, guys. Aaron's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then taking the cincture. Is that the same? Yeah, that's the same. Cool. Similar words. That's good. Zone or belt. That's what he says. And girding himself with it, he says, Blessed is God who girds me with strength and made my way blameless, making my feet like the feet of a deer and setting me upon high places. I'm pretty sure this is a psalm. Yep. Sounds very psalm-like. Yeah. It definitely is. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, This made me think of the, um, this next part made me think of the, uh, is the manipulus the thing that they were on there? On On the the left arm. On the left arm. Yeah. Um, But it's not. And these are uh, cuffs, also known as epimanica, which are... Anyway. Oh, it says here, the manipuls. Oh, there we go. Okay. Which is... Five, right there. Oh. So, yeah, yeah, he has like almost like two like cuffs that go on either hand. It says, your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, crushes the enemy. In the greatness of your glory, you shall shatter your adversaries. You have created me, informed me, give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. I don't think I've ever heard anything more metal. <laughs> <laughs> that comes from the Psalms. That's Psalm yeah. 118 and 119. Or, yeah, 118 so cool. and 119. Yeah. After that, he takes the epigonation, if he has one, um, which is. Oh, the root word there is epigone. 
Shout out to Becoming the Archetype. (laughs) (laughs) Favorite song by Becoming the Archetype. The word epigone in English means um, an unworthy inheritor or uh, descendant or uh, like a student who doesn't live up to his master, something like that. (laughs) Awesome. That's the sense in which the uh, Christian metal song, the epigone, is meant anyway. So uh, he he puts this on, which looking at a picture, I don't know, it kind of looks like a a diamond with a little tassel on it, and there's a rope on it, but I'm I, I'm not sure where that ties. So he says, "Gird your sword upon your thigh, O mighty one, in your glory and majesty, and ride forth victoriously and reign for the cause of truth and meekness and righteousness. Your right hand will guide you wondrously, always, now and ever." And to the ages of ages, amen. Finally, taking the Thelonian, which looks like a chasuble, but it doesn't have like arm openings or anything. It just goes down, covers down the chest, and then kind of tapers all the way around and goes around to the bottom. And he says, your priests, O Lord, shall be clothed with righteousness, and your saints shall rejoice with gladness, always, now, and ever, and to the ages of ages, amen. I don't know about you guys, but as you read the vestments, it very much sounds like almost like preparing for, I don't want to say war. For battle. But yeah, okay. Why don't you want to say that? Say it. (laughs) It's it's just a very different set of uh, prayers compared to the the Latin mass. Mm -hmm. Uh, But they're they're really cool. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then after that, they do a washing of the hands. But uh, yeah. The prayers just as they're preparing are, are really interesting. They very much are preparing the priest to you know, take up his uh, his duty as a almost as a warrior. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yep. And yeah. their uh, washing of the hands prayer is I think the psalm that is used during the mass for the uh, during the traditional Latin mass for the hand washing. I can find out. This sounds familiar. It says, I will wash my hands among the innocent and I will go around your altar, O Lord. It carries on. That sounds so familiar. Yeah. I think yeah. that's what the priest says when he washes during the Mass. Yeah. So, yeah, in the traditional Latin Mass, the lavabo is, uh, mm-hmm. I will wash my hands among the innocent and will compass thine altar, O Lord. So it's the exact same prayer. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's interesting because that part, the washing of the hands, happens during the offertory of the mm. the traditional Latin Mass, whereas that's happening at the beginning of Mass for them. Yeah. And that is uh, Psalm twenty five. Granted, there is something to be said too, like the washing of the hands. There is during at least the a Sunday Mass the asperges which mm-hmm. kind of acts in the same way. Um, so during the traditional Latin mass, there's the asperges, which uh, the the chant is, thou shalt sprinkle me, O Lord, with the hyssop, and I shall be cleansed. Thou shalt wash me, and I shall become whiter than snow. Right? So that's as the priest is going through the congregation and uh, using the aspergillum and... Uh, and dousing the people with holy water. 
Now, is there a reason that they don't do that at low masses or do they sometimes do it at low masses? They don't do it. It's, it's, uh, yeah, it has to be like a solemn mass. Okay. So yeah, that's why. Cool. But yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting because you can see that correlation there Mm -hmm. between the two Psalms or sorry, the two liturgies using the same Psalm and then for the hand washing for the hand washing. And then let's, let's hop over to the mass of Pope Paul the sixth. Cause there is a lava bow in there is that mass, although it's not called that. The priest makes a bow and says, with humble spirit and contrite heart, may we be accepted by you, O Lord, and may our sacrifice in your sight this day be pleasing to you, Lord God. Wash me, O Lord, from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Mm-hmm. That's it. And when does that take pl- place? That takes place during the liturgy of the Eucharist, um, yeah. right before the prayer over the offerings. Okay. Right. I wonder where those lines actually come from. Or are they original to that mass? I don't know. They are original to that mask. That like there's no there's no correlation between that and the uh and the Tridentine mass. I meant if there was like a uh um, yeah, like a biblical inspiration for that line. But yeah, it's definitely not based on the Tridentine lavabo. No. And the thing is, like, even after, like, the priest does the washing of the hands, right, it doesn't immediately turn to the people. It continues on um, with the prayer to the Most Holy Trinity. And then the priest will then say, Oratre Fratres, which is, pray, brethren, uh, that my mm-hmm. sacrifice and yours may be acceptable, acceptable God, the Father Almighty. Right. So, anyway, I, I, I think we we'll get got, there in like seventy three episodes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I think we. I, I mean, if I look at that, I'm like, you know, the difference between that psalm gets you into the mindset of like again that reminder that need to be clean, right? Mm-hmm. To be pure before the Lord, um, to mm-hmm. be able to offer that sacrifice. That intention is definitely there in the Novus Ordo lavabo, but it's much shorter. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It, uh, Mm -hmm. I'm kind of thinking here, like when you, when you look at the, uh, the the divine liturgy and the Tridentine and you look at how, um, like what they say, it very much is rooted on like past traditions that, you know, are for lack of a better word, ancient, you know what I mean? You know, a lot of this goes back to apostolic times. Yeah, yeah. Whereas the other one, uh, I don't know, not as much. Well, I would say probably <laughs> not just apostolic times, but probably temple Judaism too, because again, Absolutely. there was that Absolutely. they would use the Psalms all the time in, mm-hmm. the, in the ceremonies of the temple. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're they, the priests is symbolically carry the weight of that apostolic tradition. You know what I mean? Not only like in the actual vestment, but in the prayers, there's a heftiness to them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
the weight of that history. Yeah. Thousands of years of ancient Judaism. Yeah. That's that was- <laughs> carried on by the church since the temple is destroyed and that that religion is the Catholic church now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That temple is Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In his own body. Yeah. Like, so there's so much just in that, you know, yeah. when so much in the vesting prayers that it was an entire episode already. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> to, to say in the, like in the Nova Sordo to say that it's not obligatory to do you know, prayers like that, I don't know, it's kind of sad. And I mean, there are, you know, more traditional priests that are really pushing the younger generations to have those traditional vesting prayers present and try and reclaim the space of the sacristy to help priests prepare for, you know, what they're doing. But how often is that being done? And I I really hope if there are priests listening that maybe they would consider Mm -hmm. Yeah. doing stuff like that yeah in the uh, in the vatican document um so um it says here uh, and we'll link it in the show notes it says quote in the extraordinary form of the roman rite the so-called mass of Pius v it's funny that we kind of so-called because it actually goes back way further than Pius V. Yeah. That's not what they mean, though. <laughs> the so-called Mass of Pius V. The putting on of the liturgical vestments is accompanied by prayers for each garment, prayers whose text one still finds in many sacristies. Even if these prayers are no longer obligatory, but neither are they prohibited by the Missal of the Ordinary Form, promulgated by Paul VI. Their use is recommended since they help in the priest's preparation and recollection before the celebration of the Eucharistic sacrifice. I'd love to know why. Yeah. <laughs> why yeah. were they not in the new the new missile, right? Yeah. Why? Yeah. Why? Why? Be more constructive with the feedback. Why? <laughs> like... <laughs> But, I mean, really, when you think about it, one of the biggest, and again, you know, it's no surprise to our listeners, we're triads, right? But, like, one of the the things that we see in the, the documents of the Second Vatican Council has always been that gray area, that mm-hmm. kind of vague, kind of ambiguous kind of language that... Well, it's recommended. We encourage it. We do this. We do that. But it's not like, you know, uh, I was reading, who was it? Was it John Paul II that says that the church is, the church does not impose. She proposes. Um, she's, she's always done both, you know, mm-hmm. like, just like our Lord made commandments, they weren't the 10 suggestions of the Lord, you know, the church because of who she is was given the ability to impose. That's why we have a thing called canon law, not canon suggestions, you know, like, yeah. Yeah, So dogma, infallible statements, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, this, this idea that the church doesn't impose, she does, but she imposes like a mother imposes, things upon her children like don't touch the stove it's hot well duh you don't want your kid to burn their hand off 
You know, yeah, it's not because or, you're a you know, mean parent. Or go wash your hands or you're going to get sick. Translation, go to confession, you sinner. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or symbolically wash your hands and pray this prayer before the mass. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, you don't want your kids to get sick or go to hell. Like. <laughs> yeah. You don't want your soul to be sick when you're saying the mass. Yeah. You want to put yourself in the best possible place. And that applies to like, you know, the lay people too that are there. Like you need to be in a state of grace if you want to receive the Eucharist. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, I find it, I've always found it kind of assuring and wonderful in these more traditional parishes that we've attended over the years to be able to go to mass and show up there before mass and the confessional lights on and yeah there's a priest waiting for you there um, it's, it's a game changer you don't see that a lot in Nova Sordo parishes you just don't no. I mean I mean there it's are even some better when you go to a traditional parish that has multiple priests mm-hmm. yeah then the lights on all through the mass yeah and often and often don't they yeah don't they do like offer confession right up to the gospel. Is that incorrect? Sometimes they go even further. Yeah. So when would they have to stop for a parishioner to be able to go and it would still be uh, fulfilling their obligation? I don't, I don't know I, that there's any time yeah. that you have to. Huh. Well, I guess for, you're like, you're, you're in the building and like you're, yeah. You're still hearing I mean, the It's mass. the same as if you, you know, take your baby out to the back at literally any point of the mass, you're still there. Yeah. It's fair. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. Like I've always, um, I've always found solace in knowing that the church is a mother and she does impose these things for our good. And Mm -hmm. we like, like the Israelites of old, we're stubborn people. And we need to be taught these things. So, like, having to say those prayers every every day before Mass, you know, imagine a priest who's struggling with mortal sin having to say these prayers over and over and over and over, you know, that would be convicting, and um, and rightfully so. But suddenly you get rid of this idea of, you know, the importance of being pure that's important uh, the importance of being in a state of grace Mm -hmm. and maybe some will fight will push back and say well there's there's simply no time like then then somehow we need to i don't know help them find the time i don't know how like there is time yeah there's there's always time but like i don't know i wouldn't i wouldn't know how to how i would be able to help what you said (laughs) What you said, Chris, about the priest being convicted by these prayers, I think about this often at the prayers at the foot of the altar, which I guess is going to be next episode. Yeah. Just a sneak peek of that first line, judge me, O Lord, is like the the Mm -hmm. second thing you say as a priest when you go up. Imagine being a sinful priest. Every Mass, you have to go up there and say, judge me, O Lord. Yeah. And, and even the, and even like later on, the priest will say like before everybody else, like, Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Right. And he says that three times, like 
by before, himself. By himself. Yeah. It's harder to be a priest and preach the uh, fluffy Jesus who doesn't judge anyone when every day you you say that psalm, judge me, O oh Lord. Yeah. And you know, you're reminded of your eternal judge mm-hmm. and you invite his judgment upon yourself. You know, it's very, uh, very valuable, I think. Yeah. I heard another interesting quote today. Um, and I don't know if this is applicable or not. If not, we can just remove it. But the quote was from a, a psychologist by the name of Jerome Brunner. And he said that to tell a story is inescapably to take a moral stance. Mm-hmm. And when I think about the narrative that the Novus Ordo tells versus the mass of the ages, the Usus Antiquior, the versus the, you know, the divine liturgy. I look at the divine liturgy and the Tridentine mass as taking that moral stance, uh, stance of we are sinners in need of God's great mercy. Mm-hmm. And so we come and we, you know, we bow before, before the judge recognizing we're not worthy you know, we're not worthy to come before him. Whereas I feel like the Novus Ordo in it, even in its prayers kind of takes a more laissez-faire approach. And even, even before the, the new revisions of the, the translation of the mass that were introduced in 2011, right. (laughs) They would just say like things like, give us Lord, this gift, blah, blah, blah. Amen. Right? It changed now to grant we beseech thee, O Lord. Um, but even just that change in terminology and that and that language helps your mind to better recognize, okay, like we're hum we're better and humbly asking the Lord versus just gimme, gimme, Lord. You know. Yeah. It's a huge change. It almost changes it to um what I would consider like a sacral English. Kind of like the uh, ordinary at mass, right? Even though it's English, because it's such old English and you know elaborate language that really expresses itself that way, mm-hmm. it is in a sense like it becomes a sacral language to a degree, even though it it can still be understood as the vernacular. Yeah. Yeah, yes. it, that makes sense. Yeah, it, I mean, yeah. it takes more of that solemn tone, and mm-hmm. and kind of recognizes our place when we when we come before the Lord. How, how we how we use language, you know, how how we would talk to our you know our friends is very different than how we would you know say talk to Cardinal Burke. You know what I mean? <laughs> true. True. <laughs> yeah. And and even more so, God. <laughs> Right. Mm-hmm. I don't. Have you guys ever read the prayer of Saint Ambrose, uh, which is to be said before Mass or Holy Communion? I know I have. Yeah. Prayed it from the red book before, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can't remember it, it off the top of my head or anything. Yeah. So, so we had said in the previous episode that we would give some tips um, for how to better prepare for Mass. 
I highly recommend this prayer. Um, there's also a really nice prayer um, by uh, Fulton Sheen, um, Archbishop Fulton Sheen, um, which we'll link in the in the show notes as well. But you know, one of the things that Saint Ambrose says in his prayer, I won't read it all, but like I said, I would recommend even even if you're going to the Novus Ordo or whatnot to pray this prayer before mass or even, you know, during the offertory prayers, uh, just from your seat. But he says in it, wherefore, O gracious God, O awful majesty, I, a wretched creature reduced to extremity have recourse to thee, the fount of mercy. I fly to thee that I may be healed and take refuge under thy protection and I ardently desire to have him as my Savior, whom I am unable to withstand as my judge. Mm-hmm. It it Ad- sets the it sets the tone. <laughs> yeah, to yeah. Our Lord. And, and and adding to that, like as lay people, another way that you could prepare for mass. Two ways come to mind that Mike and I often do is we do a family rosary on our way to to mass. You got time. They're sitting. They're not going to run around. Um, if you have a long enough drive. Yeah. Which if you're driving to the Latin Mass, you probably do. Probably do. Uh, and, and Unless and, you're super lucky like Chris. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or do it in the morning. Another thing too is ensure that uh, you know, your spouse can uh, get to confession. Often often it's, if you're going to the Novus or often it's the day before Sometimes they'll have another one during the week, but coordinate and try and make it happen. It's not going to exactly be the easiest thing. Sometimes even Mike and myself have have needed to take two separate vehicles. So one will go ahead of the other, you know, while the other stays back with the kids and then we'll come give a half hour drive and it'll be a long wait for the, the little ones. But, you know, look up, look up confession times and do what you can to coordinate to ensure that you both can get there. Even if it's, you know, you go one weekend, I go the other. Yeah, that's the yeah. the most basic preparation. Make sure you've been to confession, you're in a state of grace, and mm-hmm. you're, even if you're not struggling particularly with mortal sin, that you're going to confession regularly. And encouraging your spouse to go to confession regularly. Yeah. Because it's part of our duty and the vocation, yeah. you know, care for your spouse and get them mm-hmm. to heaven. And your children too, if you have children that yeah. are of that age, right? It's important to Yeah. Our kids are not old enough to go to confession yet, but if you do, yeah, that will become important. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, I mean if at least the the difference if we haven't made it very clear, right, is that in the Tridentine Mass, in the Mass of Saint John Chrysostom that preparation is of of grave importance for the priest, um, mm-hmm. and that's something that's been lost in in the new mass. And unfortunately, when we hear about things like the reform of the reform and and things like this, it it becomes incredibly difficult to to kind of make those reforms when when they're not required and. Uh, so that's kind of one of the biggest, I would say one of the biggest differences that I've noticed when it comes to this, just in general, our traditional Catholic faith is that importance of preparation, whether it be preparation for mass, 
whether it be for us as the faithful in our preparation for confession. Um, I don't know if you uh, have ever seen in the um, in the Angelus Press missile, uh, the preparation for confession is huge. It's awesome. It really gets you into the like right headspace to go to confession. But even even things like if you read the lives of the saints or you know the writings of the saints, especially uh, in the more spiritual mystical tradition, they will talk about even the importance of preparation for mental prayer. That you take that time to, like, to enter into your own self and find God present within you. And instead of just rhyming off the prayers or just saying your rosary because that's what you got to do, take a second and remember, you know, who it is that you're speaking to um, and that he is he is there with you. That importance is, is there too. And I think maybe, uh, you know, it's a little bit of like, you know, which came first, the chicken or the egg. But I would say that the way that the liturgy was informed those those saints and those mystics to be able to come to that that realization of the importance of preparation too. Mm-hmm. That's just my Absolutely. speculative theology moment. Mm-hmm. Boom! Drop the mic. Yeah, but pick it back up because we're going to be doing another episode. Yeah, later. <laughs> it hurts. Yeah, with that speech, ship the episode. Stay tratty. Let's get out of here. All right. <laughs> so, so yeah. So next week, prayers at the foot of the altar. We'll we'll be getting into that. It's gonna be metal. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well. It sounds good. Stoked. All right. I'll show myself out. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks everybody for listening. If you haven't. Uh, yet followed us on our social media we'd love for you to come and hang out with us you can find us on facebook at theology of the buddy twitter at trad friends all one word instagram theology of the buddy um, or you can email us anytime at theology of the buddy at gmail.com and so from myself and mike and brooke stay, stay tratty, tratty.